This is the podcast for Black Virginia News, sponsored by Virginia Nation Tees. Visit virginianationtees.com for the best tees in Virginia. This is the podcast for Black Virginia this News. This is the podcast for Black the Virginia News, the first and only platform that covers all of Black Virginia. Okay, everybody, this is uh, the day after the, the June 20 primary in Virginia. This is Lauren Burke. I am the publisher of Black Virginia News. I have with me Maurice Hawkins. A lot to talk about, <laughs> a lot of surprises. Uh, and let's just get right into it. Maurice, uh, go for it. You know, what uh, What hit you from last night? There's a lot to talk about. Go right ahead. Uh, I think... I think in 1992, when they said it was the year of the woman, I think in uh, Virginia Democratic politics, I would say 2023 is definitely the year of the black woman. Uh, when you look at the, the, the number of black women that prevailed in their primaries and the seats that they'll be running in, you know, you'll have a much, much more formidable uh, cadre of black women in the Virginia Senate uh, being led by Louise Lucas. So I think that's a big takeaway overall. Um, and I also think that, um, you know, Democrats that kind of flirt with uh, the Republican Party or a little more conservative, uh, there was definitely a push out of those type of Democrats in the Senate. So I think those are the big two takeaways and we can kind of get into the nitty gritty as we move on in the show. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can certainly see from this that, you know, uh, black women, and I, you know, I see a few generational things here. I see a generational change. I see a racial change. Obviously, a lot of this brought on by redistricting uh, retirements, but that didn't necessarily mean that you would have any sort of, uh, you know, geographical or racial change. But what I see in my top lines here is a shift in power to Hampton Roads. Obviously, with Louise Lucas winning. Uh, you already had that shift, but now it's solidified and probably solidifies her as the chair of finance, given that George Barker lost his primary to Stella Pekarsky in uh, Senate District 36. As chair of the school board, Stella Pekarsky fought Governor Youngkin's extreme agenda. Pekarsky took on Youngkin on education and won. Pro-choice, pro-education, Pekarsky. But George Barker is out of touch, voting five times with the NRA and extreme Republicans for concealed carry. Black women, it is not just going to be Louise Lucas and and, um, Mamie Locke in the Senate. You're almost certain to have Jennifer Carroll Foy being elected, LaCherise Aird being elected, Angelia Williams-Graves being elected. So you're going to have a pretty nice block there <laughs> of black women who are going to be uh, vocal on a lot of progressive issues. And, of course, we saw two in Roanoke, Patricia White Boyd. She's going to have to go uh, uh, up against Suterline, which is a tougher race. But still, you know, she's on the ballot. So that you definitely make a good point there with regard to black women. First up, State Senator Louise Lucas is claiming victory in Senate District 18. She managed to clinch the Democratic Party nomination over State Senator Lionel Spruill with roughly 53% of the vote. This race caught a lot of race we've been watching tonight. Senate District 21, State Delegate Angela Williams-Graves defeated Norfolk City Councilwoman Andrea McClellan for the seat, snagging 62% of the vote. Uh, I think the other takeaway is uh, the decimation that Lachery's aired unleashed upon Joe Moore. Um, 
you know, pro-choice was definitely on the ballot, and that ended up being his kryptonite, uh, taking him out. I mean, it was a rather dominant performance by Hare, uh, probably, probably one of the most dominant performances out of any of the primaries uh, last night. So that's complete and total repudiation of uh, Joe Morrissey as a, as a candidate. And uh, again, two losses this year for Morrissey in primaries, uh, you know, losing to Jennifer McClellan in that Ascendant special early in the year and then now losing to Lachery's hair. So uh, he's taking two lumps on top of his head in 2023. So be interesting to see what his next move will be. But I will foresee not he doesn't have too many moves to make right now. Yeah, I can see that. I also can see the uh, the race that I went and visited the campaign headquarters last night. I visited yeah. two parties last night. Uh, one for SD33, which is Jennifer Carroll Foy, and the other for Makia Little. Uh, and we'll get to the house races in a second. But the Jennifer Carroll Foy thing to me was a, an example of um, establishment versus uh, what I would call something that, uh, you know, still in politics in the South lives on. Now, even though I think Hala Ayala was a very good candidate. Um, I do think that we're still seeing in the South for black candidates this pushback against people who are charismatic, with very good resumes, and with ambition. We already saw that Jennifer Carroll Foy was ambitious when she ran for governor and came uh-huh. second in 2021. We know her resume is great because she went to VMI. She's an attorney. Her, her husband does cool things. You know, all that. And you see this pushback on her, the, the same type of pushback, in my view, that we saw against Justin Fairfax, um, and that we see against almost any charismatic black person running that looks like they could go I all was a the way. I teacher for a right? while, and I'm a public defender here in Prince William County. Carol Foy says she wants to address rising costs for Virginia families in the state Senate. So as the next day senator of the 33rd district, I will protect abortion rights. I will make sure we implement an assault I thought that, and that's ban. something I'm going to write about and this morning. Uh, I thought that was very interesting, not just that Foy won, but that she won by a more sizable margin than I would have guessed, even with mm-hmm. her resume. So, uh, but I hear you on La Charisse aired uh, for both of them, for aired and Foy, a, a great turnaround, a great comeback. They left the General Assembly in 2021, I would say that in Aird's case, it was kind of flukish. She just happened to be running in a year when Democrats collectively did not do very well. Of course, Foy resigned from the House of Delegates to run for governor. And here they are back. And not only are they back, <laughs> they're back in the Virginia State Senate. So that's that's a pretty exciting turn. We've all witnessed a rise in divisiveness in the public square. When times got tough, La Charisse worked harder, put herself through school, 12-hour shifts at a factory. And of families. It's getting harder and harder to do that. Just look at the price of food. I'm Delegate Angela Williams-Graves. I've been working Notice last night, uh, <laughs> Saddam Salim, who, who beat Chap Peterson. A uh, great example. Right. So, so it's along sort of the same lines as the aired win, where you have a more conservative member, a member that's not always in line with the Virginia Democrats, losing to a younger progressive. So I see like a lot of generational and also geographical because you have Suhas in SD32 and then you have uh, Saddam Slim in SD37. Guns on the 2020 assault weapons ban, he voted no. On concealed carry, he supports loosening restrictions. 
Chap successfully pushed to weaken 2020 background check legislation, removing transfers of guns from requirements. He even voted to allow concealed guns in places that serve alcohol. In 2020, Chap was the only Senate Democrat who voted against requiring reporting of lost or stolen. Yeah, I mean, to me, you, you know, the Senate caucus on the Democratic side it's, uh, has the potential to be extremely diverse going into the next session. I mean, arguably, arguably the most diverse uh, caucus that we've ever had on, on the Democratic side. Um, you know, you know, different people of color from different backgrounds, uh, more women. You know, it's just uh, a real formidable, uh, you know, caucus. Uh, I think what's interesting, I see they said my call that SD29 race between uh, Jeremy McPike and, and Elizabeth Guzman. I mean, they're, I think it's maybe less than 50 votes separating them. Right. According um, to the, uh, the, the reporting now, so we'll probably have to wait and see if there's any, you know, uh, extra ballots that haven't been counted, you know, provisionals and some mail ballots that may have come in late that might swing that race one way or the other, but definitely a, a tight, tight race for sure. And he's he's still ahead by the 50 votes? Uh, from what I'm seeing, he's, uh, he's at 6,204 to 6,158, yeah. Yeah, that that's another one where you, you could have seen, you know, the predictions had, a lot of the, the pundits had McPike losing. Uh, I, you know, mm-hmm. They had McPike losing and not a whole lot of attention on Stella Pekarsky and uh, George Barker. Mm-hmm. And of course, what ends up happening is just the opposite, it looks like. But the yeah. fact that Guzman got that close is a story, right? I mean, mm-hmm. another yeah. example of, you know, some diversity, you know, beating what is, you know, traditionally considered the sort of traditional white male candidate, I guess you could say. Yeah. Uh, and mm-hmm. I just think that that was... The fact that that came that close, a virtual tie, it is amazing. <laughs> it really, right? Is amazing. And even even another thing too. I mean, even though uh, Craig Dees prevailed over Sally Hudson, you know, again, you know, that's a very very tight race too. Right. Um, so you know, at least on these primary fronts, man, you know, you know, I guess you could say your more progressive voices, you know, I mean, they they showed a lot of. Uh, power last night you know i'm sure hudson's not going away anytime soon but uh that was a real tight race i mean i mean she had uh crazies on his heels so yeah absolutely she did and and, and, you know he almost uh he almost got beat but you know a lot of it's funny how in politics uh you know everybody's so into studying the polls and all this but i really think one of the reasons why creep uh, pull that out is that people just like him <laughs> you know like he's mm-hmm. just like a likable character that that you yeah. know it's hard to be going into the voting booth mad at him or hard to be saying okay let's switch him out because if anybody's ever encountered him or talked to him yeah he really ca- mm-hmm. cares about the mental health health thing which of course he had a personal issue with regarding his son but he's really mm-hmm. today does a good job with that and I just think when you when you encounter him, it's a good feeling. And nothing against Hudson, but I, I think that goes a long way in these close races, you know. Well, we talked about that the last time we got together about you know between Deeds, Morrissey, and Chad Peterson. We felt that he had the best chance of pulling it out, and we thought that uh, Morrissey, you know, you know, had the worst chance of prevailing. And and that's in, in fact what happened. I mean, Morrissey got trounced. You know, uh, Chad Peterson was solidly defeated, you know, and uh, Craig D got, got a narrow victory. So, you know, like kudos to our 
prognostication here at Black Virginia <laughs> News and, you know, what we're seeing on the ground. So. Yeah, it, it's amazing. I, I went to uh, meet up with uh, Saddam Salim in, in uh, Fairfax mm-hmm. on Sunday. He was knocking mm-hmm. doors. I actually tried to catch up. Uh, actually, no, it was on Juneteenth. It was Monday. Uh, trying mm-hmm. to catch up with Foy and Mr. Joy <laughs> down to Dumfries mm-hmm. and Mr. And I came back up and, and caught up with him. And uh, I, it, it's so funny how different it is when you actually are meeting people and you're in the district. I was just texting somebody about that who's candidate one and on the House side where the, the pundits don't get these things right a lot of times because they're not actually in the district talking to people. And mm-hmm. you could just like feel the energy around the Salim race, you know, um, it it just was, I think Chap did a great job, you know, getting his signs out and all that. But, but every time I would go to an event in Fairfax, Salim is there, (laughs) you know, I went to NAACP forum and there's 27 candidates and he's there and Chap's not there. And it's like, it's sort of that type of thing. Stella Pekarski was there, you know, so I think that matters, the the personal touch, even though you can't meet everybody, I think it matters. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, pri- you know, primaries are different, you know, because these are what I consider your most dialed-in voters. You know, they pay attention to, you know, every, every nugget of information that's put out there. So you definitely want to have a good front-facing campaign where you're engaging the voters. But, you know, when you look at the, the, the personalities that prevailed last night and the policies that they're championing, you know, it's definitely showing that, as we're sort of rejecting, that the Democratic Democratic caucus in the Senate is going to be, you know, way more progressive than it's been in the past. You Absolutely. know, when you kind of, kind of purge some of these, you know, more moderate, centrist voices out, you know, with, you know, with sizable wins, you know, I mean, these guys are going to come in there, you know, with wind behind their backs. And here's the thing for Glenn Youngkin that, if, you know, if, if the Democrats keep the Senate, I mean, he's not going to get anything done. He's truly going to be a lame duck uh, governor. And when you have someone like Louise Lucas leading the charge, you know, as you know, the political pugilist that she is, um, you know, that's going to, that's a forceful uh, mixture into November. Um, so moving on to the House here, and, and you're right, just to cap that a little bit, you lose three senators who are really actually leaning right sometimes, right? Sproul, Chap, right. and Joe Morrissey. It is, it is interesting. Yeah. Uh, getting into the House, yeah. um, the House uh, had several things that happened last night that, that kind of kept me awake. <laughs> you know, it kept me awake <laughs> at night, okay? Uh, pr- pr- primarily because I had met a lot of these candidates or already knew some of these candidates um, and was just like, how the hell did that happen? But of course, you you have this happen every cycle. But when you know the people, mm-hmm. it really, it kind of gets into you. So I'm just going to start out with 96. Um, just coming off the top row, huh? Yeah, just coming off the top row. We had Kelly Fowler squeak by. And why did Kelly Fowler squeak by? Because we have three black candidates in the same district for no reason, right? So you've got mm-hmm. Susan Hippen, who, quite frankly, I think it was Susan Hippen's to lose. Then you had Brandon Hutchins. And then you inexplicably had Sean Montiero show up late in the campaign because, quite frankly, uh, certain operatives in Virginia Beach... I think didn't want Hippen to win, <laughs> right? So we knew that okay, if we get a third black person in the race, then Hippen will not win, and Kelly Fowler gets in there. So 
So what was what stood out for me for HD 96 is that it was clear that the party did not want Kelly Fowler. They basically abandoned Kelly Fowler. Uh, almost right. sort of mini Joe Morrissey style, okay, for different reasons, of course, but it was quite interesting to watch that because that rarely happens. And so she squeaks right. by and she squeaks by really on sort of a fluke. Um, you're down there, obviously, deeper involved more than I am, so, you know, have a shot at that. You know, I think when you look at the vote totals, you know, over 70% of the electorate voted against Kelly Fowler um, as a sitting delegate. You know, not only a sitting delegate, this is a woman that came in in 2017, you know, off that initial blue wave, you know, that was powered by the Women's March, you know, the, the repudiation of Trump, you know, and, you know, over the time, you know, she's gone from like rising star status when she was on the cover of Time magazine, and you know everybody wanted to be in her, uh, be in her her space. To really has become, you know, I saw there was an article that was written and they, they designated her the least effective member of the general general assembly. I mean, that is a damning <laughs> criticism of of Fowler, but you know, I think that you know now that she's in this, you know, very, you know strong democratic district, I believe it's like a D plus six, D plus seven, you know, she has an opportunity to, you know, kind of be like a, a fixture in, you know, the General Assembly moving forward. But the question will be is that will she get challenged in the primary in twenty twenty five and maybe there's one candidate that, you know, this seventy percent of the voters will coalesce around to challenge her. Uh, the interesting thing will be from my standpoint, is that if that does happen, where that person's funding source is going to come from? Because clearly, Kelly Fowler has, you know, the the trifecta of of uh, Clean Virginia, Sonia, um, Sonia Smith, Michael Bills, back in her campaign. And if you looked at the finance reports uh, prior to this race, she's been well supported by Clean Virginia in the past. So, I mean, she's going to have the money regardless. Uh, you know, what was interesting to me when that fi- that final finance report came out uh, before the primary, Susan was up 122000 and Kelly Fowler was 55000 So Hippin had been outraising everybody uh, pretty much into the bitter end. And then, you know, once it was discovered that she had taken donations from Dominion, you know, House District 96 became a basically de facto financial arms race between Clean Virginia and Dominion, where uh, Clean Virginia invested heavily in Kelly Fowler's race. They also invested in Brandon Hutton's race and Sean Montero's race. And Susan Hippen was getting the backing of Dominion. And in this case, um, you know, Kelly like did eke out a slim victory. But again, I think she has a lot of work to do to build support with the electorate when 70% of the people in that district decided that they wanted someone else other than you. Right. And, and that's an incredible <laughs> 71 against, you know, 71% are voting against you. That's yeah. amazing. Uh, yeah. Let's look at HD 92 for a second. Benita Anthony and Kim Sutterth. Benita Anthony won two really good candidates and a great example of a lot of these races having two really good candidates. And I just wanted to shout out that Benita Anthony won, but Kim Sutterth was a really good candidate. I mean, it's amazing to see sometimes when the voters, I think the voters are like, okay, which one of these people, because mm. they're just so equally good. But uh, mm. there was that one out there. Um, yeah, well, if we're, if, we're doing shout, if we're doing shout outs, then I gotta do a shout special out. shout out uh-huh. to uh, House, House District 95, 
allowing me to reintroduce myself. My name is Askew. Okay, as, as an Alex Askew, you know, who lost a really tight race um, in 21 to Karen Greenhall, who... Right. Um, who Mike Fagels will be challenging in House of 97 right. in the, uh, the general this year. And Alex won his primary against Rick James by over 71%. And and the last time I checked, there is there is not a Republican candidate in that seat. Right. There's such a target-rich environment for Democratic voters. So, you know, pretty much for all intents and purposes, Alex Askew is going back to the General Assembly. That's exactly so right, yeah. He, he, it couldn't he, happen to a better guy. Right, he lost in a fluke just like Air did. It's just you happen to be running yeah. on the wrong, the wrong year and there's a trend and you lose, you know, it's just mm-hmm. you lost on a toll fluke. Uh, the other shout-out yeah. I'll give to is HD84, Nadarius Clark, who beat... Mm-hmm. Michelle Joyce and the Darius had to resign his seat and then come back. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a crazy show, but he came back and won and he really hustled and really, really campaigned hard and it paid off, you know. Right. And I know there's a lot of talk with the Darius of, oh, he's got all his clean energy money. Yeah, he does have all his clean Virginia money, but uh, he still works his ass off. <laughs> you know, he really yeah. does still work his ass off. Um, on a campaign. Oh, Nadarius is, you know, Nadarius is a foot soldier, man. He, you know, he came up through the ranks as an organizer, you know, very passionate about the issues and everything like that. And here's the thing about it. I don't begrudge people how they get their money, right? If if you are backed by Clean Virginia and that's going to help you win your race, do what you do. You know, if if you're backed by Dominion and help you win your race, do what you do. What really matters is how you're voting and how you're building those coalitions in your community and how you represent your, your constituents. So I think we put a lot of stock into that in Virginia, and especially with black candidates, where it is doubly hard for black candidates to raise money compared to their counterparts in other communities. So, you know, I think we need, I just want to put that out there. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. It's very hard for black candidates to raise money. I would say, you know, I just want to give a shout out to Terrence Walker. Um, he got yeah. beat by Dolores McQuinn, which isn't really that surprising. When she moved into House District 81, it was kind of a, a lock in the sense that obviously she's a veteran lawmaker and very well liked. Yeah. But Terrence Walker um, put on a good campaign and uh, was yeah. trying to not take money, speaking of big money, not take big money, do small dollar. You know, mm-hmm. very hard to do. And in fact, not encouraged by anybody, <laughs> particularly the party, because the party wants you out there mm-hmm. on call time five, six hours a day. Um, Makia yeah. Little in HD19 tried to do the same thing. She lost to Rosia Henson. Because when you don't take the big money, the party does not like that. <laughs> they, they want you taking the big money. They want somebody, quite frankly, that they can control. And so Makia Little, with one of the best resumes on the entire ballot, Senator House, former FBI agent, former CIA agent, uh, graduate of Thomas Jefferson High School, runs this ultra grassroots campaign, the small dollar campaign, and gets eked out by Rosia Henson because he is, in fact, you know, glued to the Prince William County Dems. There's nothing on his face wrong with being glued to the Prince William County Dems, but they they had their thumb on the scale, which was not surprising. Well, got to look at House District 97, Karen Keyes, Damar, you know, you called that spot on, you know, even when the fundraiser wasn't looking as favorable for her, but, you know, she had a solid win, like it looked like a nine, almost a nine-point win um, over her competition, so, you know, kudos to her. Karen Keyes, Gamara, 
can never and will never be counted out. <laughs> okay, it's when somebody wins, you know, in the place where she is, just a huge population in Virginia. She's got one of the highest vote totals of anybody. Um, it's actually House House District, yeah, House District Seven. Uh, and it was an interesting race because Paul Berry is a very well liked guy. I think he came in second, um, and so mm-hmm. he knew that. It wasn't just going to. She wasn't just going to walk in, right? Because you know these other candidates were pretty good, actually. As as these blocks of four go, usually when you have four candidates, you have somebody who's not that great, right? But all four of these right. people were were good. You know, it's just that Karen Keys Gamara was better. Obviously, had been on the ballot before, and that's a big advantage. She didn't just walk out of her living room and decide, okay, well, I want to be a member of the House of Delegates. She had a real, real competitive primary there, but she did it. She made it. Um, and uh, that is that is going to be exciting to see what she does in the House of Delegates. I think that uh, there was a real competitive primary. HD 57, either candidate was black, but, you know, I was following her pretty closely. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, Susanna Gibson versus Bob Shippey. You know, Bob Shippey had a robust environmental background. Uh, uh, Susanna Gibson brings a, you know, a... a, a, a robust medical background and I think definitely think she was able to tie her personal story to some of the top line issues definitely around choice and I think that crossed the finish line she had a lot of establishment support you know um, as well so that was a tight race you know uh, good candidates on both sides but she was able to prevail I think the last thing I would say on this podcast uh, just to throw a brief uh, observation about the Arlington County Board. Um, this is probably not something you're following because you're down in the yeah. in the meat of the the heart of Virginia, <laughs> Virginia. Yeah. We're up here in Nova, near Washington D.C. Um, I was a little surprised that J.D. Spain came in third, but I will say the the candidates for the Arlington County Board were all really good. And it, again, it's it's really rare to see six people who are really good on the same ballot right i mean there's usually uh-huh. some one one by some someone who's a lemon but there were no lemons in that in that race and uh natalie roy it appears this morning and of course they've got the rank choice thing which that's another podcast but natalie uh-huh. roy and susan cunningham and maureen coffee apparently came in the top three i was a little surprised jd was not in the top three because jd of course was the president of the Arlington NAACP. Frankly, this is just a good group of six candidates that were quite good. Interestingly enough, I advise like 10 people in Arlington on their voting because they they always turn to me and go, who am I voting for? Uh, (laughs) Including my boyfriend. So I Mm -hmm. I just, uh, shout out to JD because JD is a guy that should run again for something because he knows too much and his resume is too good for that not to happen. So, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see what's moving forward. About a half hour or so, uh, there's going to be a little briefing by the Democratic Party leadership on what happened last night. But certainly an exciting, I think a more exciting night uh, for a primary night than we've seen in a long time. You know, there was so many races to watch on the local level, on the municipal level, and of course the state races, the Senate and the House. And then you get these upsets, which you typically don't get. You typically don't get income right. upsets. But... With redistricting, there were a few districts that were completely different, and you saw the results. Mm-hmm. And it really does, I think, signal a a geographical and a generational and a racial shift in the power in the Commonwealth of Virginia. 
Right. You know, when I look at these results um, in regards to um, in the House and the Senate, especially in the Senate, it, it's going to be interesting to see what 2025 looks like in regards to the candidates that are going to be running on both sides of the aisle, you know, especially on the Democratic side, because that's where I follow more closely, you know, who will be perceived as viable candidates, you know, who will have, you know, robust funding sources. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, how that materializes, you know, it's, it's an early front runner, you know, because again, you know, with this redistricting, you know, it's, it's a total realignment of power and leadership, you know, um, kind of want to go back to Louise Lucas, who, you know, early on made her ability to be the finance chair a central piece of her campaign. And it appears that 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 message resonated with the voters, Um, and as well as her style. So, because, you know, we had a discussion of whether her more combative style would uh, play well with uh, um, uh, Senator Sproul's more diplomatic style. And it appears that, you know, her, her style won. So so I think that's something that we may want to take a look at as far as how Democratic voters and activists and organizers want their candidates to behave on the campaign trail to earn their support. So just something to be mindful of. Yeah. And that that is really a historic thing about last night. We are very likely to have, for the first time in the history of the Commonwealth of, of Virginia, a black person controlling millions of dollars, uh, depending, of course, on the leadership, uh, whether or not, of course, the Democrats hold on to power in the Senate. And, of course, they do have to contend with the fact that the mansion is Republican, but still a historic marker nonetheless. Uh, anything else? No, I think it, I agree with you. I think um, the, this primary season was very exciting. You know, definitely one of the more exciting um primary seasons that I've seen um, in a while. Uh, a lot of great candidates. There's a lot of talented people who did not win last night. There's a lot of smart people who did not win last night. There's a lot of uh, hardworking people who did not win last night. And for the people who won the, these races, uh, I think it's going to be very important that they figure out ways to, you know, Bridge to, um, you know, build those bridges with those campaigns that did not prevail and help them get across the finish line because, you know, it's all hands on deck, you know, if we're trying to, like, move the Commonwealth in a different direction. So hopefully, I know people can lick their wounds today, and rightfully so. Maybe lick them tomorrow, but, you know, by Friday, they need to pull themselves off off the, um, the tarmac. And let's get back in the fight. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I just thought of another shout out. Right, Kim Pope Adams. Actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Like, that's a podcast within itself. Like, I'm not running anymore. Okay, I'm running. Now I'm going to win. Like, what in the world? Uh, I got to shout out Brandon Randleman and Kim Pope Adams. Uh, Brandon Randleman is our campaign manager. But Kim Pope Adams did something I thought that was absolutely hilarious a few months ago, which was she quit in frustration because money wasn't coming in, which is a very common frustration, particularly for black female candidates and black candidates in general. Uh, I think everybody who has been any part of the campaign totally understood that frustration when they saw that press release. Uh, 
she mm-hmm. knew exactly what that feeling was. And uh, even though I think behind the scenes, they may or may not have been feeling like, oh my goodness, you know, we're discombobulated. But I think everybody related to that moment. And then she gets back into the race immediately and then wins last night. <laughs> like, which, which yeah. by the way, was not supposed to happen. Most of the pundits have predicted Victor McKenzie, who's a good guy, another example of a mm-hmm. really hardworking candidate, you know, a good candidate. Yeah. And, and so, but to go back to what you just said, you know, congrats to everybody out there. I, you know, I've met mm-hmm. a lot of the candidates, and there's a lot of good people in Virginia who run for office. Uh, you know, yeah. because this is Black Virginia News, we typically focus more on the Democratic side because most of the black candidates are on the Democratic side don't mean to leave the Republicans out, but that's sort of how it is. But at some point, we'll probably have some sort of Republican discussion, at least the black Republicans. And uh, I would just say... That's a, that's a one-minute one discussion. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta switch. I gotta switch you out with somebody else, I guess, when I do that conversation. But yeah. there's some interesting black Republicans. You'd be surprised. And, uh, yeah. you know, I just would say, just, just as you said, really good people running for office in Virginia. It's really good to see. So there we are. That's this edition of Black Virginia News, the podcast. There's more to come. Thank you, Maurice Hawkins. And a lot more to come this year. Early voting will be starting again (laughs) before we know it. And I'll be talking to you soon. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Black Virginia News. 